With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years in the tyre industry. BF Goodrich will be there to drive you on your next on or off-road adventure. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. Good to be here. Uh, ready to ramble on about some uh, buying a new boat or a caravan or a car, as we spoke about last week, which is uh, exciting. But I think first we're going to get into my week in fishing and... Uh, not a bad week with weather this week, considering what we have had, because it has warmed up a little bit, because... It wouldn't be hard. <laughs> it couldn't have been any worse, could have it? Last week, I'm on Tankwater in Mogs Creek for those <laughs> at home, so we, we rely... Do you have power down there? <laughs> we rely on the rain. Yep. And I reckon I had a quarter, maybe under a quarter of a tank left, so we were struggling a bit. And then all of a sudden, the weekend hit, <laughs> last weekend hit, and holy hell... What a happen- I had a full tank. What happens when you're 30, struggling? 30,000 litres. What happens when you're struggling a little bit? Well, you've got to buy to get it in. I thought you were going to say you don't One shower. One showers. <laughs> no, I, I share at the club. That's not a joke. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Do the kids and, get past? Or you're like, no, George, you're in the mud, you sleep in the mud. Just hose them down outside. <laughs> then I'm, I'm still watering my plants, but I'm also keeping the kids nice and clean. Hey, uh, let's get into your week in fishing because you've been smashing the waiting. Yep, whiting went well. Uh, we had the southerly wind at the start of the week. Well, sorry, the start of the week we actually had a northerly wind and I headed offshore and managed to land three beautiful big gummy sharks, which it's it's funny to say this, but they're getting forgot about. A lot of species of fish are getting forgotten due to the tuna that are offshore. The tuna and the kingfish. This tuna time and the of kingfish. the year, it's yep. certainly, you know... Everyone goes nuts for yep. those fish. And as soon as you get this good weather, the tuna are just shutting down. They're not – and the reason by that is there's a lot of boats chasing them in the good weather and they just don't feed that well in calm weather for some reason. They just don't. It's the rough weather that stirs them up and get them going, gets them going. But we did have some rougher weather, probably a bit too rough for the tuna, so I stayed in the bay, managed to get some whiting uh, during the week, which they're going with the big tides that we talk about. Not so much the dirty water this week, but it was about fishing those stronger tides. We always talk about fishing that better tide, and the tides were perfect this week. So they were good, and then, like I said to you before, it wasn't the best weather, but it was warm weather. We had 30-odd degrees Thursday, then Friday was about 26 and cooled off in the afternoon, which is still better than what we have, well, than what we have had and then what we're going to have in the next week too. I think it's looking pretty already next week too, Pat. But it's funny to say, to, before you talk a little bit of fishing, imagine this time last year, half the country was on fire. Legit. Yeah, and yeah, hot exactly days, right. light, no winds, no rain, no rain at all. And it's funny how the earth sort of, or the planet heals itself. Like now we're getting, have you thought about it? We've, we've been speaking about it during the week. We've, look at the rain we're having. 
I reckon Donald Trump's got more idea about climate change than you do. No, I'm one, telling one, you right now. Mate, one one yeah. sparrow doesn't make a summer. We've just had a. We have just had. A, so you don't a, reckon the Earth's trying to heal itself with the rain and everything to basically generate all the plant life and growth that's going to happen all over where the fires were? No, I don't. Well, I'm 100. percent Well, I've spoken about this about 12 different people. I, we all agree, <laughs> and we're all experts. I, I'm sure you. Are. <laughs> no, I just think it's just been a slightly lean patch. It doesn't. Globally, I think temperatures are still rising. Not in yeah. not in Victoria. <laughs> I reckon I'm onto something here. Go anyway, on. back talk. to the fishing. Fishing's been good. I was going to say, talk about misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about something that we know that is relatively on the yeah, money. I, I think I am on the money there. If you think I'm on the money, send us something in. If you think Pat's on the money, don't send anything because I don't want him to have any credit. Anyway, send, fishing, fish, send something in via our Real Adventures app and to say that Aaron is right, that we are it's healing. Aaron, we'll get plenty of messages. Aaron is an imbecile. Can you tell him to stay in his lane and talk about fishing? It says you should talk about bloody footy. Here we go. You I'm want not to- saying that I know about it. Hey, um, use the used car segment, the used caravan and boat segment. We yep. spoke a little bit about this last week. It's been a really fascinating little period of time, particularly the caravan industry, that has gone from strength to strength over the last few months when – it was on its knees six to eight months ago. It's been incredible. The industries that have really um, done well and benefited. and benefited from what COVID has brought on the entire world. The other industry is obviously the one that we love, and that's boating, which has done the same thing. And it's quite astonishing at the moment. We're hearing stories sort of circulating right around the country of different dealerships that have obviously their boats for sale, their boats on the floor stock, and um, generally – you know, dealers like to keep a certain amount of floor stock there, so people can see order boats. Well, when you when you're buying a boat, you there's, there's no point buying it without looking at it. Exactly. So that's why they do that. So dealers at the moment they they're getting stuck with people walking in and not only saying they want to buy you know that exact boat that's on the floor, but offering above the ask price, up to ten grand above the ask mm. price, just to be able to walk away with it. That's how. That's how tight the market is at the moment. It's incredible to think. So for those of you that are in the market at the moment for a new boat, it is a bit of a challenging time because you want you want to make sure that you're not overpaying for it and you're still getting value for money. So particularly in this used boat segment, Redmond, we spoke about it during the week and we thought it'd be something really good to talk about, the do's and don'ts when it comes to, to buying a boat. And one of, the, one of the things we get bogged down in a little bit, particularly those that don't, or haven't bought a boat and used one before, is the quality of boat versus the quality of motor that you have. Now, you can have a beautiful-looking boat, but let's be honest, if it's running a 1994 Johnson two-stroke, it's going to be incredibly expensive to run, and you're going to have... Unreliable in the back of your mind. Absolutely, and you're going to have constant issues. So quality of boat versus quality of motor. The motor is always the most important part of any boat, as long as you've got... No, there aren't any holes in it, let's be honest. <laughs> well, you, you've got so many different boats now that are out there that are being are getting rebuilt. So you've got all your all your Hanes 19Rs, your 17 all these older boats that were built years and years ago. Caribbeans, there's so many, like Huntsman's, there's so many different boats that people are rebuilding and making 
they look unreal, don't they? They look fantastic, but the quality comes down to the engine as well. They're not out there running with the same year engine that's on that same year hull. They're using the I new technology. Most of those are 1979. <laughs> they wouldn't. They were engine tour oars back then. <laughs> but seriously, it's the. It's like you said. It's not about the hull. I, I believe you're onto something there. It's definitely about the engine that you have. But buying a boat and having picking your engine buying it off someone picking the engine that you're going to buy whether you put a new engine on it or you use the engine that has come with it what do you think comes down as factors towards that well it, it's certainly a, the use when it comes to a boat can be really interesting at times because you can buy a boat and and boating use is judged by hours yep. so you buy a car you, you're looking at how many kilometers are on the clock for how often it's been used now boats we judge it by hours how many hours the, the boat's been on the water um, and the motor's been running for, or the key's been in the, in the ignition and turned on. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll always get a really reliable boat because if you've just bought a boat that's done 50 hours in 15 years, boats should be in great nick, but the motor hasn't been run much. Exactly, yeah. So that can sometimes you know stir up its, its, its own issues. What you sort of want almost is a consistent use but not overuse. The average uh, boat spends about 50 hours a year on the water runtime. Now, you spend about 50 hours a week, so you're, <laughs> you're slightly higher than the average consumer, but that should give you a bit of a guide. If it's under that, so for a you know a 10-year-old boat that's done 250 hours, well, it's done less than the average per year. I know for a fact that the more you use your boat, the better they run. And the reason I say I know for a fact is because I've had multiple engines and I've done lots and lots of hours with touch wood, I have. I don't think to to this day, other than my old dad, my dad's old Johnson, we used to have when I was a kid, had issues. But I don't think I've had an issue on the water, and I, I'm touching wood now, hoping that it's 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 going to stay that way. But the mercury that I've got now, I'm well over 100 hours. I need to go get it serviced because I didn't even realise I'd done that many, and I've only had it for a couple of months. But it doesn't miss a beat because it's getting used. And if you speak to any marine mechanic and whatnot, they will say to you, the more you use that engine without being stupid, obviously. But the more you use the engine, the better it is. And the commercial guys, like Chris Vasileski, who regular guest on the show from Gone Fishing Charters, he does hundreds of hours a week sometimes of on his boat when he's down at Portland. If he does if he does seven or eight trips, twelve uh, seven or eight trips in a day, uh, in a week, sorry, and he might do multiple trips down Portland. He might go five hour tuna or maybe a ten hour day. He, like I said, racks up a lot of hours. He has to get servicing so regularly that it's actually getting looked after constantly, getting all the things that needs to be done to run really good. So I would much prefer to buy an engine off him than someone that's had an engine sit there for twenty hours over five years. Uh, servicing and maintenance records, that's clearly a really important part, just like you're buying a car. If you've got a service history, then you know who's been maintaining it, and particularly if it's been maintained by a reputable marine dealership, then you'll have a really good sort of log on on how well it's been used. Um, The other thing is, and this sometimes gets lost, is just what's included in a boat purchase. Now, with a car, it's quite simple. It's it's just the car. But with a boat, you've got electronics which are often separated, You've got safety gear, which once you start to get EPIRBs and, and those sorts of things, 400 bucks. that can come up easily into the thousands of dollars, rod holders and all that sort of thing. So make sure that you're really clear with the person that you're purchasing from what's actually included in the sale. Especially of, a pie warmer. Of the boat. <laughs> and the last thing, we spoke about the servicing of, of motors and how that is certainly important, which it definitely is. The other thing is the servicing of the boat. And there's different um, organisations that, 
out there that can help you with this. And one of the ones that we looked up and they have a, a really good reputation is seaworthyinspections.com.au. Now they service Melbourne, Sydney and the Gold Coast. Um, they're another one that can not only look through your, your motor, but they can actually look through your boat as well, particularly if you're looking at older boats, uh, fiberglass boats that have timber stringers where you can have those sort of issues at different stages with rot and the like. So they're the challenge that you come when you're, when you're buying a second-hand boat. You don't always know the history of it, so these experts can help But you. the thing is, you don't just know the history on it, Pat. You also can't see inside. Exactly. That's the yep. biggest factor with buying. Back to this topic that we just – at the start of the topic, we're talking about that 19R. You can't – yeah. Knock on wood. That, does, does that sound good? Anyone that, that taps right? on wood, like I've I've been with multiple. It's too hard to oh, talk. It's too hard. Like you need to have someone come down and test the boats to make sure that you're not buying. So if you so there's a beautiful 19R that's for sale right now. It's say for example, it's 55 grand. It's done up. It's got a brand new Merc on the back. It's got all the Simrad gear in it. It's got the Garmin gear. It's got whatever it is, whatever you have in it, and it's 55k, and you buy it. And then all of a sudden, you notice a little bit of wood that's fallen into the transom somewhere. You can notice a bit of weakness or a bit of movement in the floor two months after you buy it. That 55, 60K now is going to cost you another 15 to 20 grand to get all of it fixed. Stringers redone. Stringers redone, floor redone, the laminate. As soon as you soft spots, you need to save your money, spend a couple of grand to get someone to look at it. I don't know what the fixed price is. You'd have to make you do your own inspection. And it's going to be different for for each boat. And it, it doesn't take too long. Like they're usually sort of hour, hour and a half. But it's something worthwhile, particularly if you're spending really good money on a boat to get your the expert's eyes looked over it. Uh Looking ahead, Redmond, what to target this week when it comes to, to fishing, particularly the moon phases, is something you go off religiously yep. and then obviously matching that up with the right tides, times and the winds. Yeah, spot on. And Saturday, um, Saturday is in this afternoon, we've got a westerly wind. So I'm obviously sitting here now and I can't go out fishing with this northerly that I've got. But if I was out there now, I'd be chasing the tuna. And the reason that I'd be chasing the tuna is to do with the north, northwesterly wind. But it, and, and it comes down to the strength of it. So we've got around that 15 to 20 knots today. And it's going to keep a few people at home. But it's also going to stir the water up a bit, Pat. It's going to make things really fire up on top. Then the afternoon, which is what I'm looking at, you've got that 14, 15 knots in the afternoon, which is going to swing to the west more. So it's not going to be as offshore, but it's going to be relatively nice. And then you're looking into t- uh, to tomorrow, Sunday. It's looking... Yeah, it's pretty ordinary. You're going to have that around that 20-odd knots. If you are desperate to get out, let's favour that wind with the tide. So if you're looking at Sunday with the tide, you need to get that movement of wind with that water movement too. So the top of the tide is around 10.32. So that what I mean by that is the top of the street, the top of the moving water coming in, so the end of the flood is at 10.30. So I will be doing my fishing in the morning. I'll be getting there as soon as the sun comes up and I'll be fishing that morning tide. And what I'm going to be fishing for is purely for cover is whiting. I'm going to be running that Queenscliff sort of seaboard into right up to the St. Leonard's. Western Port, there's plenty of places that you can hide through Western Port. So make sure you do contact Gwaine, get a guide or follow Gwaine's report on Salt Guide. We have got him on as a guest a bit later on too, Pat. So he will cover all that. And then into the week, it's not looking... It's just typical weather that we're having this time of the year. It's that south-southwest, little bit of easterlies in the, south-easterlies in the afternoon. Just... Make sure you fish to your conditions. Be smart because the fishing is good. The tuna, kingfish, whiting, big gummy sharks. And don't forget, don't get too distracted by the tuna. If you go out there and no one's getting any for a couple of hours, don't be afraid to drop your anchor in on a reef. 
catch a few wrasse. You don't need to even take bait out. Drop a micro jig down, catch a wrasse, catch another wrasse, catch a cooter on the way up, and you'll be able to fish all day and catch a gummy in the ocean if it's the conditions allows you. So the tuna are great fun to catch. I know some people really enjoy eating them, but they can be hard to catch and people are wasting a lot of money and a lot of getting home, getting yelled at by their partner, but not bringing anything home. So there's plenty of options available at the moment. No, that's just you. (laughs) Up next, we have The Social Club. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge. And don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app. It has all our latest podcasts, fishing news, tips, and recipes. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich celebrating 150 years. It's time for the social club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures social pages or better yet, download our Real Adventures app and send it in via that. Our first question, Redmond, is from Tim Long. Navigation lights and when to use them, boys, please explain. I've got no idea. Yeah, it's a good question, and a lot of people do use them incorrectly. Navigational lights is simple when you're navigating. Well, people think you need to have them on the whole time. They do. It's actually against the rule. It is against the law. So you can't. So if you're drifting, so if you go drifting for a flathead at night, for example, or you're drifting for a shark at night, you actually have your navigation lights on because you're actually navigating. You're actually moving. When you're on anchor. You, it's, you can't have your navigation lights on. You're not navigating. You're in a fixed position. You need to have your anchor light on. And some people will say, but whenever I turn my anchor light on, the navigation lights turn on as well. Well, yeah, they do. But quite often, there's actually a three switch in a two switch. So all your switches will be two. So bilge pump on, off and on, and your, your cabin lights off and on. But with your navigation anchor lights, when most of them wire up, so if you press it all the way up, it'll turn your navigation lights on as well as your anchor. You push, you push it, it into the middle. The middle. Yep. Yeah, that's when it's off. And then down the bottom, where you, where you actually think it's off, is actually where just your anchor light's on. So make sure you do use your navigation lights properly because it can get confusing. It is illegal too. And especially if, um, the snapper pad, uh, when you're fishing, this, uh, I do a bit of traveling across the bay from sort of St. Leonard's to Carrum. And it looks like a Christmas tree on the water with all the navigation lights on. And people are actually anchored. And I'm like, are they moving? They're coming towards me, but they're in a fixed spot. So if you are anchored, make sure navigation lights are off (laughs) and make sure your anchor light is on. So that there is all things navigation lights. Now, Patrick, I've got a question for you. Greg Anderson has sent in, which direction should I cast when freshwater river fishing? I am new to the game. Uh Generally, you always fish face into the current, so cast upstream and bring your bait with the flow of the water for a more natural presentation, particularly on streams and rivers. Now, this is um, this is driven home more so than any other form of fishing when it comes to fly fishing because you're trying to uh, almost represent a fly landing on the water and then slowly drifting down or an insect landing on the water um, or an underwater bug of some description. Now, you can shoot that sometimes. I certainly have when you're using sort of salters and you've got territorial brown trout when fishing through the otways. But generally, um, the hard and fast rule is fish always face upstream. doesn't always mean that's the only way to go, but if you're fly fishing, then it's an absolute must because all of a sudden that natural presentation that you're trying to, to put forward to the fish, the line... Um, tightens and it just looks totally unnatural. Your dry fly becomes a wet fly because it's being dragged through the water. Gary Winter, 
Underwater lights and LEDs. Oh, yeah, this would be good. Do they attract fish or is it a wank factor <laughs> attached to them? Well, it's there's definitely a bit of a – let's be honest. <laughs> there's definitely a bit of a wank factor when attached to them and there's plenty of those things that that are attached to fishing at different stages. Do they attract fish? Well, they do. If they you, definitely if attract If you go fish. out in the middle of the night and you've got them on – you'll see a whole lot of different sort of microorganisms that will start to... Um, it creates a lot of tension around your boat. Yeah, congregate around the boat. And what attracts small fish? Well, bigger fish and, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So they do attract fish. It's They're not going to attract fish that are 40 metres below the surface necessarily, Redmond. You might attract the, the old squid every now and then. Yeah, what, are your squid. Th- what are your thoughts on using underwater lights when you go out fishing? Because you do it a little bit. You don't do it a huge amount. I do it just because it looks cool. When I'm travelling out of the harbour and you look like that idiot driving around with your blue light on. Actually, look, I've got a white look light like, this time around. But you look like something out of Miami Vice almost. Uh, it just, I think it is like, don't get me wrong, they do do that little bit of part. And I know that I, Bomber Thompson, uh, Bomber Thompson, <laughs> Bomber Farrell, I mean, <laughs> wrong name, from uh, up north, Groot Island, you're a very uh, good friend of the show. I don't think Bomber Thompson's putting him underneath the <laughs> bottom of the boat. I think he's... <laughs> We won't, we won't, we won't, we'll stay away from that conversation right now. But we'll go back up north to Groot Island where I didn't, where Bomber, Bomber Farrell, who fishes quite a bit, and he's up there. And I've seen turtles come up to his lights and little things like that. So they definitely attract life. So they do work. But if you would ask me and you were to go, well, out of 100%, where do they come into? I'm going 80% wank factor, 20% fishing. <laughs> does that sound about right? No, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the social club for this week. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures app. As we said before, it's got all our latest podcasts, fishing news, tips and recipes, as well as the opportunity to interact with Aaron and I and shoot forward a question. It's now time for our dream boating destinations. We're heading to New South Wales this week, Redmond. Yep. Now, Let's be honest, the, the southern region of New South Wales is is spectacular. Like that whole sea Sapphire Coast. Is, is, is brilliant. But one of sort of almost the hidden gems, because you hear so much about the other locations, but Tarthra is a wonderful fishing destination. It is. I love going to Tarthra. It's, I've stayed there numerous times. Beautiful caravan park on the water there too, which is a fantastic place to stay. But it's just a place... Uh, it's literally beautiful. The only way to explain it, it's hill, massive hills. It's got some really good... You know what I like? The, when you go to a place, sort of like down where you live, you've got Aries Inlet down that way. Pat. You know those local shops down there that are real yep. friendly and welcoming? they got that down there. But like you said before, the fishing is crazy. It's seriously good fishing. Now, like you said, it often gets a little bit forgotten about. And I head to Eden and Burmy quite often to chase my marlin and Well, whatnot. you hear so much about Marimbula, Maruma, yep. yep. Pambula. So there's, some, there's so many great places. But Tarthra is just as good. Oh, and it, if not better, but it's got a place called the Bega River and where the cheese is made. And it comes, it comes down, it comes down uh, right down from Bega down to Tarthra. And quite often I find myself when we stay in Eden, we spend so much, one of those windy days, we spend so much time in Tarthra heading down to that river and casting soft plastics and little hard bodies. We get some really quality flooded out of the river. You get brim. The amount of sand whiting that you see up on the flats there is crazy. I've never targeted them, and I know we are doing it this year because I know Zane wants to, that's all he wants to, bloody catch but it's sand whitening's good massive trevally in there also and there's a few other bits and pieces that you will also find through that river and then you head offshore now well you can head offshore i'll cut you off there go for it you can head offshore from the from the wharf like the 
the the Tartha Wolf, which was built in 1862, it is incredibly popular because it descends to quite uh, quite deep water really, really quickly. Um, and there's some wonderful fishing to be had right off the jetty there. Yeah, and it like Pelagius coming. I know of kingfish that's been caught off there. I know sharks that have been caught off there. When I was a kid, I actually witnessed a fellow catch a massive tiger shark off there. Which was scary. Oh, such a great, I was great place to swim. <laughs> don't swim there. Swim in that little river I was talking about. I don't think there's any bull sharks in there. But <laughs> speaking of facilities to launch your boat, uh, it can be a, a bit of a prick at times. And I'll be honest with you. It's not a place like Eden or Birmingham. We've got that sheltered harbour. Yep. Now, you've got uh, the, a boat ramp facility, which you can take your boat out in the Bega River. But the entrance to the Bega River to the mouth is quite often not accessible by boats. So you head down just... Literally, so the Bega River is just slightly north of Tarthra, where if you head pretty much in the central Tarthra, it's slightly south, not much. If you, I'm going to get you to pronounce the boat ramp because I can never pronounce it, and I don't know if you can also. The Kiani boat ramp. Yeah, perfect. Kiani boat ramp, we'll go with that one. That there is a... If it's not the best-looking boat ramp in the country, I don't know what is. It has. It is spectacular really to launch facility, there. The facility is good, but the only drama is it is open to the ocean. And I, I've got a map in front of me right now. So for those that don't, if you do want to check it out when you get home and you're not driving a car, have a look what I'm talking about. That wind can really blow into that ramp and cause havoc. It can be rough at times, especially if you're out all day and the sea gets up. It is also very rocky. There's rocks all through there. So make sure you do go out at sunrise. and well, not, Sorry, not sunrise, but after sunrise so you can see if you're going there for the first time. Or chat to a local fella down there, I'm sure. I reckon it's one of the nicest towns going around Tarthra. So make sure you do get there and don't forget about it if you are heading up down the, heading to the south coast of uh, New South Wales. Beautiful work, Redmond. That was our dream boating destination. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodridge. They've made a lot of memories in their 150 years most importantly, driving you to create memories of your own. All aboard for Dometic. From first-time campers to hardcore outdoor adventurers and everything in between, no matter your experience level, Dometic. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic, everything you need for adventures, big or small. And our special guest this morning is none other than Gwaine Blake, Gwaine's professional services on Instagram for anyone that's looking for a fishing guide. Now, Gwaine's on the water as we speak, Redmond, so we're getting a boat review whilst Gwaine is actually fishing from his boat. Made a voyage. I'm not sure it's ever been done before. (laughs) Good morning, Gwaine. Morning, guys. How are you? We're going well, and why we've got you fishing on the... We're not going quite as well as what Gwaine's going. Because we're sitting leaning up against the wall right now at your house while he's fishing. Exactly right. (laughs) Let's go through the boat, uh, Gwaine. You've you're literally fishing in your boat for the first time. You've just put it in the water. You have purchased the Stabycraft 1850 Fisher, which is a brand new model. Uh, we would like you to tell listeners and people that want to purchase a new boat why you've bought your boat for yourself. You haven't bought it for anyone else and basically about the boat in itself too. Okay, so the main reason I've purchased this model is, is the deck room. So the actual size of the boat's got a huge amount of deck room. Um, it's a new model, so it's actually a wider deck. I've actually got about 25% more percent more um, deck space than the old 1850 model and 150-litre tank versus the old 100-litre tank. So it's a lot more room and fishability. And obviously now we're running the new Mercury's 
like the actual fuel range we were getting out of a boat like this, I'd probably be able to do around 320, 340 k's. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of kilometres for a, a little boat. And then obviously, yeah, it fits in my garage, but it's all the boxes because the fisher is more of a runabout style fabby, which can fold down all your canopy. Uh, it's in a standard garage, which is, is perfect for me. Talk through us the helm, Gwaine. Now, you've op- uh, opted. Uh, for Sound two- like me there, Patrick. Go again. One more time. <laughs> you've opted for two screens instead of one. Now, explain the rationale behind that, Twin Garments. Okay. So, I fish a hell of a lot offshore for kingies and stuff like that. And I lo- use LiveScope a-, a lot. So, LiveScope can actually show me exactly where my downriggers are in real time with the bait and then the fish coming up behind the bait as well. So we can literally see kingfish come up and take that you know, live squid or live slimy mackerel before it even happens. We can turn around and watch the rod buckle after the fish has actually taken the bait and that's, that's the best part about it. Now, Gwaine, I want you to tell us, though, why have you gone specifically with the 1850? There's a 1550 that Pat's got. There's a few other boats. The Sabercraft's got a massive range of fantastic boats. Why the actual 1850 for what you do? Like bigger, smaller? You could have gone at what Craig's in a 2050. I had a 2100. Why an 1850? So the actual deck room in this is pretty much on par with the 2100. 2100's just got a nice sleeping quarters up the front. Uh, it's a bit, you know, a longer boat, so it's probably a little bit nicer ride. But this, the ride in this, and this is the biggest I can get in that um, runabout range, in the Fisher range. I can't get any bigger, so if there was a 2050, I might have gone that way. But um, to be honest, like, this is the maiden voyage, and I'm already happy with it. It's, it rides unbelievably well for, for an aluminium boat. It's so stable, it's ridiculous. You might as well just be tied up to the pontoon at home. Um yeah, the, the fishing room's unbelievable. And then it's just um, cheaper running costs. I can tow the boat a lot easier. You know, if I want to, I can drop down the canopy when I'm towing as well so that there's less wind drag. And I'll be able to beach launch anywhere I want to do around the coast. So if I come down to Torquay, I can beach launch there. I can beach launch at the uh, Inverloch and go out through the bar, all that sort of stuff. And, and that's the other thing about Stabby's is, like this thing floats in 250 mil of water, mm. so it's so easy to beach launch and um, even get in real shallow and pump your yabbies and all that sort of stuff. And it's got a big lift up windscreen, the same as Pat's 1550. You can literally put it on the beach, jump out, do, do what you want to do, pump some yabbies and stuff like that, or if you're sleeping at night on an island, you can just you can do all that so easily out of this boat. Gwaine, you've fished in a huge amount of boats, many different configurations and a hell of a lot of different engines. Talk us through the importance of matching the right engine uh, to the hull with whether it be a fiberglass boat or with what you're obviously running with the beautiful Stabycraft, which is an aluminium boat. The importance of matching um, the right motor, not overpowering it, not putting too much weight at the back of the boat. So it enhances performance and is far more user-friendly. Yeah, so... I've got to the stage of my life that I don't need to be going 100 miles an hour on the water anymore. Um, I'd rather get there you know, half an hour later and still enjoy, enjoy my time on the water. So speed's not a massive option for me. But saying that, I'm still getting 
68k out of this boat, and I haven't even really played with props yet, so it can it can do it perfectly. But a lot of people, yeah, it's always about you know the numbers on the back of the motor instead of actually what the motor's capable of. And a lot of boats have only a, a, you can only get so much speed out of a boat, and after that, it, it's just you're putting numbers on the back, like horsepower on the back, and not actually getting any more performance out of the boat. And if if, it, if it's too heavy, you can actually wreck the performance of that boat too. So the great thing about the Mercs is they're a very light motor, so we can actually go up in horsepower if we wanted to, and it wouldn't affect the balance of the boat. But the, also the other thing you've got to look at is obviously your servicing costs. Mercury is 35% cheaper than you know, half the boats on the market to service. They need a lot less parts each service and all that sort of stuff. So all this comes into play. Like I do, and Aaron does a huge amount of hours on the water. You know, I'll probably tick over 500 hours quite easily on this boat in its season. And when you start adding up all the numbers and what it costs to run and, and service, then obviously these ticking all the boxes for me. Well, that was Gwaine's review on his 1850 Fisher, which is a Stabycraft 1850 Fisher, I should say. And Gwaine, just before we let you go, I've got a couple of minutes. We need a, we need a fishing report for uh, things that you're going to be doing and the things you have been doing. I know for your sake, you're pretty annoyed with with uh, the weather that we've had as, as of late, with the king, chasing the kingfish side of things. Things have not been on your side with the weather. It's hard to get offshore, but there would be fish there. I know it's a little bit tough for the week, but how would you approach the next few, what do you reckon, two or three weeks, Pat? Uh, regarding, two or three days. Two, we'll go, no, weeks. No, I'm referring to kingfish. Gotcha. For the two, because we've got this week's not looking great. So we'll go kingfish two or three weeks, and then we'll go uh, just your general fishing with the weather we've got coming. Yeah, so at the moment, obviously, we've had... We just had that huge amount of rain, which isn't helping things at all because we had you know, a month's worth of rain in six hours. So all the rivers and all the inshore areas are sort of dirty. So what we have to do now is fish either tidal areas where it's going to drag clear water in from the deep. So scenarios like the Rip, West Head Flinders, Seal Rocks um, on the um, Seal Island side, uh, sorry, Phillip Island side, uh, even the Bullamai Pinnacles. All those areas are going to work well, or you go out wide of the rip and you start looking off Barwon on the old wreck on the graveyard grounds and look up the wrecks. So if anyone's interested in those wrecks, you can go on a dive site. It's called Dive Doctor by memory, and you can actually look up all of those areas and actually fish just those wrecks. Um, so that's probably where I'm going to be concentrating my sort of fishing is for the next two, three weeks is around those entrances. Obviously, ends of flood tide, so that's when the water's going to be clear and coming in from the deep. So ebb tides are probably not even going to be an option. And then just trying to fish those better days where it, it doesn't look like we're going to get many northerlies this summer, so it's just going to be those lighter southwest winds or southerly winds trying to fish the capabilities. The fish are going to be there. you just got to fish your own capabilities. Next few days, what are we doing, G-Man? Mate, I've got a live bait tank full of squid, <laughs> and I think I'm going to go fish one of those areas I just spoke about. So that, that's probably my option for the next couple of days. We've got some beautiful tides at the moment too, so the whiting are going very well. Um, top end of the north arm from sort of Taurus Head Bank right up through Quail Bank, even up to Gentle Adding in Joe's Island, all of those areas and that sort of start off 
various height in the deeper water, sort of five to six metres of water. And as you get through to the mid, mid of the flood tide, you'll get right up on the banks, actually biting in two metres of water. And it's really good fishing. We've got some quality fish up to you know, 46, 47 metres. Well, we could speak to Gwaine all day, Pat, so we probably should wrap this up because we're probably over time. But Gwaine Blake. He's out on the water. <laughs> He's wow. out on the water. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> Gwaine Blake from Gwaine Professional uh, Services. Take you, if you want to book a guide with him, make sure you get in contact. And also, my fellow partner in Soul Guide, too, Gwaine is. Thanks, G Man, for your info today. And well done on your boat review. We'll chat to you soon in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Cheers. Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. And now it's time for Red's Review, and we're going to pass this one on to Patrick because he we know how much he loves his product, so fire away, Patrick. I do. This week's review is on Min Coder's Riptide RT55. RT, of course, meaning riptide, and the 55 refers to the size of it. So it's a 54-inch unit, and it's a 12-volt wire. I like this to operate it. You only need one battery. One of the things I certainly learnt with my Stabie 1550, I put an 80-pound thrust on it, encoder, <laughs> and what it means is I've got to use two batteries, which it just affects the running performance but, of my boat too much. But it allows, it allows, the weight there allows you to duck dive the waves as you're going out of Monks Creek Bar, doesn't it? <laughs> I've really learned a huge amount. So should have gone the 55, will be on the next little stavy that I that I order, which will be exactly the same boat. Um, now this is, the this 55 is exactly what Matt Watson uses on his Stabycraft 1550. So he's got a beautiful little uh, side console. So he's, of course, of the uh, of New Zealand fishing fame, the great man. Um, and what's great about the the 55 is it's still got all the, the great features of the 80. It's got spot lock, um, which is a, a GPS anchoring system. Uh, it's foot pedaled, so you can do all these things. So you can spot lock or you can actually chase fish with a push of a button with your foot um, and you can control the motor with that. Now, it's whisper quiet. Clearly, it's an electric motor. So when you're pulling up on fish or chasing fish, it is totally silent. It's not like a four-stroke Redmond where mm. everyone says, oh, whisper quiet. This is whisper quiet. Four, four, <laughs> four strokes are not whisper quiet. Especially, let's, let's get that clear. Especially when you get the V8 300 Mercury. That is like you can turn it. You can actually turn it. Uh, uh, Will, who see uh, the big boss of Mercury, said it's like wife mode and friend mode. <laughs> this is like when it grunts. When it grunts, they're, they're loud as. <laughs> Jeez, you might get sacked from anyway. Um, they sounds are, good so, though. So they're whisper quiet. So that's really important. Um, you've obviously got the remote control, which is your main remote, and you can drive it from that. You can also drive it from the Mincoda app. Now. Most people, and this is slow. This is this is changing. This sort of narrative around why and who uses electric motors. It's gone from you just use them in in rivers, in lakes, in estuaries. That's all it's good for. To now being widely regarded as something that is great to use offshore. Because rather than when chasing snapper in fifty to seventy meters of water, of laying out a hundred meters of anchor rope, Redmond, because you need to fix on a specific spot. You hit spot lock. It's whisper quiet. You can chase the fish, and you don't need to let out all that anchor. Just going to throw an example in for that, Pat. The other week, not the other week, start of the week. Sorry, on the Monday, I was fishing the gummies, and I was out in forty meters. And when I anchored, 
I had a northerly wind. And then I was deliberately on top of a reef. Because remember I said at the start of the show, you don't need bait to always catch gummy sharks. We had no bait. We were chasing the tuna. They didn't come up, so we didn't waste time. We, we, we fished, and I had this northerly wind, and we got, we're on the reef catching our bait. We only got a few. We're like, oh, we'll keep catching them when we need them. We didn't want to kill fish and put them in the bucket for no reason. Yeah. We got we got two beautiful gummy sharks, but then all of a sudden the wind went to the northwest, and then right around to the west. It was only light, but we blew 93 metres off our mark. It was literally the complete other side, and that's where your spot log's going to benefit. There's no tide – sorry, there's minimal tide in the ocean where I was doing my gummy fishing. Therefore, the Minn Kota that you're talking about would come into play for me and actually – Instead of allowing me to drift drift off it like I did, I therefore would have been on the spot the whole time because I ended up running out of bait and going in. So that there would have made the difference for me on that day and probably would have caught me another fish. And the other thing it does is if you've got an anchor out, well, generally the, the wind is going to move you, as you've just said, but you can actually you can decide which angle you want and which direction in. you want the boat to sit in. To favour the tide. And the Minn Kota will set that. So at the moment, I saw it during the week and this is sort of what sort of – um, got me going around a review for it is that BCF have them on sale at a club price of two thousand three hundred bucks, I think, or thereabouts, when they're normally you know close to three grand. And you'll be able to, if you go to most manufacturers and say I can get this at this shop or whatever it is, they'll match. They're going to price match. So um, it's a it's a great little electric motor, um, really really versatile. And that is Red's review today for today. Min Coders Riptide RT fifty five. That's Red's Review. Nicely done. That was Red's Review for Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski this summer? Get a quote from Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. It's time for Red's Tip. It's not much time for Red's Tip because we had going. We've gone over time. It's good, you've isn't got, it? You've got plenty of info. You've got a minute. Red's like, Tip. So this week, I've seen, well, not this week in general, but this week's tip, but in the past few months and whatnot, I'm actually in shock with the amount of people that I'm seeing uh, strapping their boats from... Uh, I guess port to starboard. It's the easiest way to explain it. As in right, right, right over. Right the around the hull. Uh, for starters, I don't like the fact of it because I just don't... When you ratchet something quite tight, I don't like the idea of pulling something in and surely it has to do something to your hull. Like it just naturally would. But also, you save your gel... a small aluminium hull. Especially a small aluminium <laughs> hull where there's not much not much aluminium there. But it, it's going to damage your, your aluminium and it's also going to damage your glass from the... You can put as much... Uh, as many rags behind it as you want. Your mate's still going to forget to do it the next time you go out. So what I do and what I think most people do, and I'm actually going to review. I haven't reviewed it yet. I thought I had. I'm going to review how I actually strap down my boat next week properly, but with the actual product and whatnot. But for today's tip, because we're on short of time, strap it from your trailer to straight up on the back of your transom on to what it to the st- yeah on the stern transom whatever on your marlin board a lot of people have a marlin board on yep. either side or maybe one side I know I've only got it on one side and there's a a, what you, a U-shaped uh, what do you, would you call it it's actually the bolts in a U-shape 
Come on, give me something good here. I'm trying to sound professional. Fire away. It just looks like a D-shackle that's been fiberglassed. That sounds real good. Well done. <laughs> we're going to strap it onto that and we're going to hitch it. And then vice versa on the other side. And you can people will ski off them and whatnot because a lot of people with boats don't have uh, don't have a ski pole. So people that's where the people uh, tow to as well. They're strong. So they're strong. So you can, that's how I'd be ratcheting your boat down every single time and not running it over. If you don't have it on your boat, Get it on your boat. It wouldn't be hard to do. Asking someone to do it, it would not be hard to do. So make sure you don't ratchet your boat in from the side to side. It can't be good. And also, it's going to damage your paint and whatnot. And that's Red's tip for the week because a lot of people are doing the middle work. It's time for the flying gaff. And I was driving to the airport this week, Redmond, or the week that's just been, and I saw a a nice old uh, sort of half cabin driving up the... um, the highway and the speed limit's 100 k's an hour and the boat's doing 100 k's an hour and the canopy is up. And But the boat didn't have a car tow on it. The boat had a car tow, <laughs> but the canopy was up whilst the car was doing 100 k's an hour and I'm pretty sure this boat on water has never done 100 k's an hour ever. It looked like it had a Chrysler motor, but it was a nice canopy. It was looked like it was a an add-on accessory, but it was left up during a drive and – there is one thing that is for certain. If it's an aftermarket and it's generally a cheaper sort of um, canopy, it will stretch at high speed, particularly particularly on the highway doing 100 k's an hour. And this thing, it looked like a parachute. It was lifting that high off the boat. <laughs> so the next time that you go out on the boat, it's just not going to – it's not going to – be set up as well because the whole canopy will have stretched. So you just don't come loose. You're not going to get the same torsion. So over time, it's going to wear itself out. So the next time that you're traveling, take the extra couple of minutes, fold down your canopy, get out the hockey straps, and that'll make sure that your canopy lasts. Can I just throw something in there? When you're traveling, uh, not I'm not talking massive trips, but like, for example, Port Welsh the other day was a few hours, take your clears down. Yeah, yeah, just take your clears down because it damages them, bugs and everything hitting them at a hundred, like you said, hundred kilometers an hour. It damages them, stretches and them. stretches them massively, and it just. And not only that, you're probably going to use a lot less fuel when you take them down too, because it is a strong wind grab. I know if I have no clears on my boat, I pick up another extra six kilometers with my clears down rather than having them up. So the, oh, when, when, I, when I'm on driving the on the water, actually yep. on the water in itself. Yep. So that's how much drag it is grabbing, and that's only at 70-odd kilometres. So that was sort of Red's tip in your gaff. And your gaff wasn't that vicious today, but it was, it was all right. You've been listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. Thanks for listening. We're going fishing. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.